Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Murder Chronicles. I'm your host, Carolyn Osorio. You're listening to episode 48, A Date with Death. It was April 9th, 2016, in the city of Renton, a suburb of Seattle, and it was a Saturday, and the line girls were headed back to their mother, Ingrid, after a sleepover with their dad, Phil. The 12, 10, and 7-year-old girls hopped out of their father's car and made their way to the front door. It was just before lunchtime, but when they got to the front door, it was locked. The girls looked to their dad, because it was weird. The door shouldn't have been locked. And where was their mother's silver Toyota Highlander, which was usually parked out front? Ingrid and Phil were newly divorced, which meant he didn't have a house key anymore. So he called Ingrid's cell phone, but she wasn't picking up. Ingrid prioritized her children above all else, and she knew that the girls would be dropped off, so where was she? Immediately, Phil called Ingrid's mother, hoping there would be an explanation. But she had no idea where Ingrid was either. But she had a key, and it wasn't long before she had driven over to her daughter's house. The family walked inside, and the house was quiet. Alarm bells started going off because they saw Ingrid's purse phone, and computer on the countertop. And as they searched the single-story home that Ingrid shared with her young daughters, she was nowhere to be found. Ingrid was a nurse at Swedish Hospital and a mom to three. She was never without her phone. Immediately, the family called the local police and filed a missing persons report. Here's Detective Robert Onishi with the Renton Police Department. I believe the initial report, yeah, came from Ingrid's mother um, and actually started off by uh, Ingrid's ex-husband who had gone to drop off their daughters uh, at the house and had not been able to locate Ingrid, which was unusual behavior. She was apparently very reliable as far as her child custodies. The family didn't just sit around and wait. They began looking through Ingrid's computer, desperate for some kind of clue as to where she might be. They had a little hope, though. They found a receipt for a Mariners game. The tickets were for the night before. That Friday night at T-Mobile Park was special. It was the Mariners' home opener. A time when the city of Seattle is humming with excitement. A new season means a fresh start. Maybe this year would be the year that something great happened. Something Ingrid Line probably could relate to. At 40, she was newly single and dating again. She'd recently created a dating profile at an online site. Ingrid loved her children and her job. She was very active in her kids' lives, and she's a dedicated nurse at a prominent hospital in Seattle. But she's at a time in her life where she was ready to meet new people. So the family has this receipt. The thing was about the Mariners game is that the receipt didn't say who was going to the game, just that two tickets had been purchased. A police officer took the missing person's report from Ingrid's family, who were at the same time calling everyone and anyone they knew trying to track her down, trying to piece together where she'd been, who she'd talked to, hoping upon hope that this was all just a misunderstanding, that Ingrid was going to pull up in her silver SUV with 
a complicated story about why she'd been delayed, how she couldn't call because she didn't have her phone or purse, and that everything would be okay. One of Ingrid's friends would share with police that she'd received a text from Ingrid at 10.35 that Friday night saying that she was on a date, which would lend credence that Ingrid had probably gone to the Mariners game the night before with that date, hence the two tickets. Ingrid's mother knew she had access to her daughter's phone records because they shared a cell phone plan. So pretty quickly, they were able to look at all the recent activity attached to Ingrid's phone. There was a number that no one recognized. Ingrid's sister went online. She entered the phone number into Facebook and a profile came up of a man named John Charlton. Ingrid's mother sent a text to the unknown number, believing that it belonged to, well, according to his Facebook profile, a 37-year-old man named John Charlton. She asked where her daughter was. The owner of the phone responded, quote, My name is John. I thought she was with her kids today. Ingrid's mom responds, When did you see her last? She's not here. Her phone is here and driver's license and purse, but she's not. Please respond. I've called 911. John responds, 911, question mark. What's going on? We went to the Mariners game last night, but we didn't stay the night together because she has her kids today, dot, dot, dot. Not sure what she has told you about me and our relationship. Ingrid's mom cuts to it. She wants to know where her daughter is, saying she's missing. What time did you see her last? A police officer needs to speak to you as you may be the last person who saw her. Please call. But John doesn't call, and he chooses to not respond to any of Ingrid's mother's further texts, which are becoming more and more concerned with every second that he's not responding. She attempts to reason with him and lets him know that she knows who he is. She says, can you please call me? I know your name is John Charlton, so please call me. He doesn't respond. Her last text to John Charlton, it's a heart-wrenching gut punch especially if you have children. Even though they're just words expressed in a text, you can hear a mother's desperate plea as she appeals to the stranger, John Charlton, to help her find her daughter. Please, John, did Ingrid say anything about someone coming to see her after you separated from her last night? We can't find her car. As I said, her phone and ID and purse are at her house, but she and her car are gone without a trace. Any help would be appreciated. We are desperate. She would never just go off and leave her family. John's silence was not only cruel, but it was also terrifying. Why would someone who was at the very least friends with Ingrid, who had information about her, who was believed to be missing and potentially in danger, who admitted he'd gone to a Mariners game with her that night, not respond with a call to the family immediately? Why would he not reach out to the police and fully cooperate? Even if he didn't know anything, share what he knew or didn't know about Ingrid from their time together the night before. Having been ghosted by this John Charlton, the family continued to dig into his online profile. According to his pic, he appeared clean cut with a happy smile that conveyed a fun-loving 37-year-old single guy. But Ingrid's family didn't know anything about a new person in Ingrid's life named John. However, a neighbor would tell police that he'd talked with Ingrid and that she'd been dating a man named John. It didn't take long for the news of a missing mom and nurse who went to the Mariner's home opener the night before and who was missing to spread like wildfire. Right away, it broke as a local news story. People who knew Ingrid 
and her family were worried that based on who she was and how fiercely she loved her daughters, she would not just disappear or walk away from her life. The community was asked to keep a lookout for Ingrid and if anyone had any information about her whereabouts to come forward with tips to the Renton Police Department. Later in the afternoon on Saturday in Seattle, it was just after 4 p.m. when a man goes to the curb in front of his home. It's time to take in the garbage containers. He tips back the large plastic recycling bin to return it to its spot off the street. He's surprised when it has a weight to it. The container should have been empty. He opens the lid and sees these precisely wrapped plastic garbage bags inside. So he empties the bags out onto his lawn. There's just something odd about their shape and the way that the plastic adheres to whatever's inside. He opens one of the bags and was shocked to see what appeared to be a human foot. I'm on Muddy reporting. I could be wrong, but it, it looks like a foot. A medical examiner would open up the three bags and determine that inside there was a left arm, a right leg, and a human head. Then Seattle Police Chief Kathleen O'Toole reported finding what he believed to be human re remains in his recycling container. The items in question were inside plastic bags. Patrol officers were immediately dispatched and responded to the scene. The officers externally examined the items and they too believed that the bags possibly contained human remains. The homicide standby sergeant was called and responded to the scene at approximately 5 p.m. Upon further examination by the homicide sergeant, the items were confirmed to be human. The remains showed no signs of decomposition. It was a woman. Her facial features were intact. Seattle police detectives made the connection. There was a missing mom from Renton, whose pictures had been plastered all over the local news media for hours. They were able to look up Ingrid's driver's license photo and tentatively identified the remains as belonging to Ingrid Line. That evening, at approximately 11 p.m., the homicide unit learned that the Renton Police Department had taken a missing person report that morning. The homicide unit obtained a copy of the report from the Renton Police Department. A photograph of the missing person was obtained by the homicide detectives. Based on observations by the investigators, the victim was tentatively identified. Detective Robert Onishi with the Renton Police Department says it was after midnight when they got a call from the Seattle Police Department that a search warrant was being executed at the home of Ingrid Line, their missing person. That evening, we were actually doing an auto theft emphasis around Renton. So a number of task force detectives, PROACT units, um, and I was doing our auto theft investigations at the time, along with a couple of uh, my cohorts, my sergeant and another couple of detectives. Um, we're all out around trying to work on auto theft hotspots. We'd already chased a couple of cars that night. So around midnight, we were in kind of a lull, and I was about to get some coffee because it's midnight, when uh, I became aware that our patrol folks were headed out to an address in the Renton Highlands um, because Seattle PD had requested their presence there. And it turned out that this was with regards to a Seattle investigation that started off when they started to find parts of human body um, in, I think, recycling yard waste containers around Seattle. And we're able to identify those as belonging to a woman, woman named Ingrid Line, uh, who was a Renton resident. And when they contacted us, we found that we had actually taken a missing person report on Ingrid earlier in the day. The identification of Ingrid Line and the recovery of her remains left little doubt that she'd been murdered. 
and it was decided that the Seattle Police Department would take the lead on the homicide investigation. Actually, if we had known what the circumstance was or had, once we started to dig into it, found out what the circumstance was and that this murder had actually occurred in Renton, we probably would have taken it. And actually, if, King, if Seattle had asked us, we would have taken it anyway. However, by that time, when we talked to the Seattle detective sergeant who was there, his take on it was, hey, we've already gotten so far into this that we'll go ahead and take primary on this case. They'd actually already sought a search warrant for the house there. The only assistance they requested from us was kind of perimeter security. And they, because they had a limited number of people there at the time, few detectives and then their crime scene response, essentially CSI team, they asked that we help them make entry to the house. So we were able to jimmy a back door, get into the house. We did the actual physical clearance of the house for security purposes. So just to make sure there was nobody working inside, we went through the house. The Seattle Police Department CSI team would scour Ingrid's home. Right away, they found a nearly empty box of plastic garbage bags, which appeared identical in color and size to the bags that contained the human remains inside the recycling bin. In the bathroom, there was a strong smell of bleach and evidence that the crime scene had been cleaned up. And yet, in plain sight, propped up against a wall between the sink and bathtub, was a 15-inch wood saw. In the teeth of the blade, they would find blood, tissue, and bone. I noticed in one of the bathrooms while I was searching that, it smells like bleach, like this has just been cleaned up. So, um, I passed that info on to them, and then they actually took the rest of the uh, task of processing the house and were able to figure out that the murder actually occurred inside. The drain trap in the bathtub would be removed, and more blood and flesh would be found. The medical examiner would rule the method of Ingrid's death as homicide. The manner of death was strangulation. It was suspected, based on the evidence, that Ingrid had been dismembered in her own home after she'd been murdered. Right away, detectives were able to clear Phil, Ingrid's husband, as a suspect. But this John Charlton, he needed to be found, and fast. Through forensic shoe leather, detectives were able to track him down at his former girlfriend's home, who lived in Lake Stevens, which is about 45 minutes north of Seattle. John Charlton was arrested late Monday afternoon. The suspect has been booked into the King County Jail for investigation of murder. The suspect has been identified as John Robert Charlton. This investigation is ongoing. However, at this time, we do not believe there are any outstanding suspects. After they took him into custody, they were able to speak with his ex-girlfriend about that weekend. She explained to police that... She and Charlton had made plans that he was going to come over on Saturday morning to help her with some yard work, but he was a no-show. He would text her saying that something had come up. In fact, he hadn't shown up at her place until 10.30 that Saturday night. And when he did, right away she noticed he was in rough shape. He had a fat lip and scratch marks on his face. She was like, what happened? He explained that someone had tried to rob him, and that was it. Charlton would spend that Saturday and Sunday night with his ex. When detectives asked her about her relationship with Charlton, she explained that she'd known him for a year. She would describe him as a mean drunk, but that he'd never been violent with her. That Monday, John Charlton would be brought into an interrogation room. But even as he sat there, with a busted-up lip and abrasions to his face and scratches to his chest, his demeanor was described as nonchalant. The interview would begin with some basic questions like, What's your address? Here's some of that interrogation. From Crime Watch Daily. 
What is an address for you, John? I'm homeless. Are you? Where are you staying right now? On the street. Where do you get your mail at? My mail? Do you get mail like you have a P.O. box? Or? What, is, what is this all about? It, we're looking into what happened to Ingrid as you're aware she's missing. Yes. And we know that you knew her. What's your relationship with her? Have you been dating her consistently since you met? or? I would say, I guess, yeah. Charlton would explain that he'd met Ingrid through an online dating site and that they'd been seeing each other for about a month. But as he's asked questions about his relationship with Ingrid Line, he seems almost annoyed, certainly not concerned about what had happened to Ingrid. Did she let you stay at her place, or did you, were you staying elsewhere? She let me stay there sometimes. How often were you guys seeing one another, like over the last couple of weeks? A couple times a week, I guess. Okay. And what kind of things did you guys like to do together? Hang out. Uh, adult stuff, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to like, get into that too much. John Charlton wasn't interested in sharing the details of his relationship with Ingrid, but he also told them that he didn't really remember much of the night. He said that he and Ingrid had gone to the Mariners game and that they had driven from the stadium back to her house in Renton, which was about 20 miles away. But according to Charlton, that's all he could remember because he was so drunk. He would say that he believed that they had sex. He would say that Ingrid was acting weird, but wouldn't elaborate on what that meant to him. Went to her house and went to the game. And we started drinking a lot. How much had you had, you had to drink at that point at the stadium? Well, we drank before that at the beer garden across the street. Uh, and four of us had a lot to drink. So, were you feeling intoxicated at that point, or just a little buzzed? Or I was intoxicated. What's the last memory you have of contact with Ingrid? Like, what's the last thing that you remember? Do you remember her driving you downtown? Yeah, I. I believe I sent her a message at the moment. Well, I knew she had her kids the next day, so that wasn't gonna. She didn't want me to meet her kids ever. Or not about ever, but she just didn't want me to meet her kids. So. Do you know why? Is that something like for anybody she dates, or was it something Probably about you? Because I'm <laughs> so when you were back at her place and you had sex, and I apologize for asking this, but was it in the was it in the was it in the bedroom or somewhere else? I think we did. You think you did? You don't remember it? I don't. I agree. So we usually, yeah, I'm just assuming that we did. Okay. So was there a reason that you didn't spend the night that night? I don't know. I was drunk. You know, maybe I wanted to go get a candy bar or something. I don't know. Okay. I was drunk. But John Charlton was very clear on one point. He absolutely did not stay the night at Ingrid's. He wasn't sure how he'd gotten back to Seattle from Renton. He thought that maybe Ingrid had driven him back into the city because that's where he'd slept, on the sidewalk. Charlton had some basic details, but was noncommittal, blaming being blackout drunk. But he's placed himself at the crime scene and the last person to see Ingrid alive. Going into that interview, detectives had already seen evidence to support he was capable of violence. Charlton's criminal history included crimes in six states, convictions for aggravated robbery, felony theft, grand theft of a motor vehicle, assault, third-degree larceny, and arrests for battery. And according to the Associated Press, in 2006, Charlton's father had requested a restraining order against him. 
His parents came home to find Charlton drunk in their home, where he allegedly acted physically threatening and verbally violent. The dad would say Charlton had removed the movie Hannibal from a shelf, set it in front of his mom, and told her she should watch this and beware. His parents further alleged in the restraining order that Charlton, quote, has been known to hold grudges for several years and exposes frustrations when under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and that these frustrations he displays can be very intimidating and cause for fear of violence. But ultimately, the parents' request for this protective order would later be dropped. Given the brutal nature of the murder of Ingrid Line, the obvious question, why? If John Charlton did murder Ingrid, what was his motivation? The closer somebody is to you, the more vulnerable you are. And that's you know, just the way of things. You let people into your life in varying degrees, where the closer they are intertwined with your life, the more intimate they are with you, the more vulnerable you are to something going wrong. Now, most of the time, that's not a problem. We, we get to know people. We meet them. We kind of work our way through establishing a relationship there. And that's the difficulty is that if you are doing some kind of, as in this case, relatively casual dating, that process might be a little rushed and maybe you don't know somebody as well as uh, one would hope you did. Um, I don't know exactly what the history was between the suspect and and, uh, Ingrid here. Um, I know that they had linked up not too long before this all occurred. So this was relatively short term here. And I guess the worry would be, especially if you're living alone and maybe you're not too, too terribly public with your friends about what all is going on or who's involved that can lead to situations where, again, you bad things may happen. It was frustrating because during the interview, Charlton wasn't clear about many of the details. But one thing he was clear on was that he didn't do anything to Ingrid, even though he didn't remember much because he was blackout drunk. Detective Onishi weighs in on this excuse. During this murder are the victim and the suspect because they're alone. Sometimes you have to kind of take those statements from somebody about their mental state or about what they remember, about what their intent was, with a certain degree of skepticism. Not to say that that wasn't them, but we have no way to prove whether it was or wasn't at this point in time. Um, All we have is a statement from somebody which is admittedly a bit self-serving about that. So the question comes up, yeah, later on, are you somehow attempting to cover your tracks for some horrible accident? Or was this, you know, that degree of, I guess, planning about things. You know, I I don't, I haven't been in such a situation. I don't think I ever will be in such a situation. But if you were to have a situation where you found yourself, I don't know, suddenly waking up and realizing something terrible had happened, would your instinct then be to make a very methodical kind of a attempt to hide that entire occurrence from having happened and distance yourself? I mean, you would think that maybe for most of us, the first instinct would either be scream and call somebody and tell them you didn't know what happened or just run. How many people would have the presence of mind in that situation and then kind of shift gears and suddenly make some sort of a methodical effort to hide the fact that this ever occurred at all? Um, and that would be, you know, again, I, I can't tell you having not been there. Yeah. But that would be one of my points of skepticism is, you know, is that really how you would react if this had happened and was a, you know, horrible, out of character, never happened before kind of an occurrence? Don't know. John Charlton would shut down the interview that day when the questions were becoming too complicated. Well, maybe I should have a lawyer for this stuff. I should make this 
As soon as the detectives leave the room, John Charlton would take off his jacket, roll it up into a makeshift pillow, and lay down on the floor, face down, to take a nap. Later that Monday night, police would find Ingrid's vehicle parked in Seattle, and they were able to lift three fingerprints from the car, which were a match to John Charlton. Inside the vehicle, there were more of the same trash bags, which matched the size and color of the ones used to dispose of Ingrid's remains. In the days to come, body parts would be recovered from three separate locations in those same trash bags at a recycling center. Here's Assistant Chief Robert Murner. At approximately uh, 9.45 this morning, sanitation workers, uh, while collecting the receptacles, found a uh, receptacle that contained what appeared to be, and an, uh, by all accounts, is human remains. Q13 spoke to sanitation workers. She called me and told me that she, they found a human leg, and then she called me again and told me that she found that they found um, a hand and in a bag with more body parts. They don't bring cops down here and, and corners down here with stretchers when it's when it's nothing. These gruesome discoveries had the community on edge. What had happened to Ingrid and why? It was all just so wrong. A mother of three steps a toe into the dating pool, doing something millions of people do every single day, and she's murdered? There was a feeling of disbelief at such a senseless act. Deserve what happened to her, and it just gives us all a bad feeling. Yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. I, I hope that justice is done, well, and I'm sure it will be. That Monday, John Charlton would be charged with murder and theft of a motor vehicle. Bail was set at $2 million. At John Charlton's first court appearance, a prosecutor didn't sugarcoat the brutality of the suspect's alleged crimes. It is clear from what we know at this time um, that this is a very brutal crime that occurred, appears to have occurred in the home. In addition to the facts contained in the probable cause certification last night, the CSI unit of the Seattle Police Department found bits of human flesh and blood in the bathtub drain. Ingrid's family would release this statement to the media. This weekend, a light went out of our lives forever. Ingrid, beloved mother, daughter, sister, and friend, was taken from us for reasons we still cannot comprehend. Our hearts are broken and can never be fully mended. But out of our grief, hope still springs, as does our appreciation. Words cannot express our gratitude to our communities near and far for banding together and expressing their support and ultimately their love. For this, we will be forever grateful. From the bottom of our hearts, we all thank you. We would also like to express our appreciation to the Renton and Seattle Police Departments as they work tirelessly to provide all of us the truth around what exactly happened to our beloved Ingrid. They have been there for our family, providing answers, support, and compassion even feeding the girls cats when we needed. John Charlton would plead not guilty to the crimes. But later, at a court hearing in October 2017, he would change his plea to guilty. Here's then-Deputy Prosecutor Jeff Baird and the presiding judge reading the plea. Your statement reads, Early morning on April 9, 2016, with premeditated intent to cause the death of Ingrid Line, I manually strangled Ingrid Line for several minutes until she was dead. Is that your statement? Yes. Is it true? Yes. To the charge of murder in the first degree, what is your plea? Guilty, Your Honor. To the charge of theft of a motor vehicle, what is your plea? Guilty, Your Honor. Prosecutor Baird 
would say they negotiated the plea deal to spare the family an agonizing trial. All have very mixed feelings about it. Um, in one sense, of course, it spared them anguish of a very uh, graphic and gruesome trial. It may be that the, the details of the dismemberment will come out later, but this wasn't the day for that. Even so, some of the horrendous details of what John Charlton had done to Ingrid would come out during his sentencing hearing in January. Mr. Charlton intentionally and with premeditation strangled Ingrid to death. He placed her body in a bathtub using a pruning saw. He dismembered her body, severing her limbs and head from her torso. Here's John Charlton and his attorney speaking at his sentencing. Um, but he does hope that his decision to plead guilty as charged, his decision to actually state out, make a statement as to what happened, that it answers questions for people. I do agree that there are no words that can, there's no words that can alleviate the pain that I've caused. And for that, I'm truly sorry. John Charlton would take a plea deal and admit his guilt. But he never would explain himself why he chose to murder Ingrid in cold blood. On January 5th, 2018, a Superior Court judge would sentence John Charlton to the max, nearly 28 years in prison. John Charlton's capture and conviction is some measure of justice, but it wouldn't bring a mother back to her three children. A friend of Ingrid sums up the horror of not only what happened to Ingrid, but what the family, especially her children, have lost. Why did he do this? And then why did he make, like, put her in pieces? And then think about, you know, her kids, and they need their mom. It's been more than two decades since the launch of online dating sites. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And according to a recent Pew Research study, three in 10 U.S. adults say they have used a dating site or app, which is all to say, it's how people meet. But for a moment, Ingrid's senseless murder did put a spotlight on the dangers of online dating. I, I come from a whole different time in a different universe there. Maybe you get to meet people and get to know them in a situation where you are not alone with them, where you are with friends, where you're in a social setting, and really kind of get a look at them in a variety of different conditions and a variety of different situations. Some of the dating apps that are out there aren't geared toward that. You kind of worry about if, if some of these apps primarily cater toward casual hookups, what kind of things might happen out of that? We've had you know, not a large number of homicides. Most of the homicides we get, people know their attacker before this all occurs, um, either a domestic situation, something that's, a, you know, some type of rivalry between groups or something. But we've had a few where the outcome of some kind of a casual hookup is something that's totally horrifying to most people and definitely not the kind of thing that we want to see. And, and this would be one of those. It, it's rare, but it happens. Before I let you go, I wanted to remind you to check out the Murder Chronicles bonus episodes. Each week after the show, producer and my co-host Brandon Morgan and I discuss the cases in more depth. And as always, thanks for listening. The Murder Chronicles is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We are produced by Brandon Morgan and myself, music by Soundstripe. For Pie in the Sky Media, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.